Welcome to the Golf Bros, a podcast unlike any other. Drew Hamilton and David Daring play top courses with unsuspecting guests, followed by an entertainingly awkward interview from the 19th hole. Let's find out who the boys made uncomfortable this time on the Golf Bros, your source for every course. Welcome back to the Golf Bros. I'm one of your hosts, Drew Hamilton, and along for the ride, as always, co-host David Daring. Daring, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thank you. All right. Well, we are coming to you live from the Windstar Golf Club in Thackerville, Oklahoma, and we are pleased to be joined by the course design team of D.A. Wybring and Steve Wolford. D.A., welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be on. Thank you, Steve. Good to be here. All right. Thanks welcome. Yeah, absolutely. I think well, it's our first uh, senior uh, tour player. Not senior. It's champions tour now. We, we've we've kind of put that senior term to the side. Oh yeah, yeah that, that was right. a marketing okay. decision uh, okay. way back when I when I turned fifty and understood. In 03. understood. I'll try not to make that mistake. Yeah, that's yeah. like uh, that's okay. That's like uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken has rebranded itself KFC. Yeah. All right, so here we are. Before we jump in, we want to talk about you guys, but first we got to get you guys to analyze our games the way we start each broadcast is this is the first podcast we've done where our guests actually did not play with us and what we do is we ask the guests what they think our handicaps are who's the better player so not having seen either of us swing just I might have spoiled this I might have spoiled this so <laughs> oh you already did no I didn't do it I made a mistake because they were talking to me about the course but we'll let them go ahead I don't want to ruin it well All right. I, I can I had a little little scouting uh, trip because I, I know you had my son on and Cody Gribble yep and I heard that they kind of overshot your handicaps uh, <laughs> slightly. By, by slightly. <laughs> what they say, fifteen or seventeen or something? Correct. So, and they played with you. Yes. Now we did not play with you today, uh, so I, I've got an idea that you're both pretty good players. Yeah, I saw I saw Drew's action on the first tee. I, I did I did not see David hit. So I, I, you had a good you had a good swing. So yeah. I'd have to go with you being the lower handicap. I believe that is correct right now. I'm a 2.8. Daring, what are you? It's 5.3, I think. Yeah. Very big sore spot in my it, life. It, <laughs> and, yeah, Matt guessed I was a 15. Yeah. So I, what, I, you, I, I, must have been, I must have been playing great that day. <laughs> what did you shoot yesterday at Lakewood? Yesterday I shot a 73. And then, actually, one other quick side note is because, uh, Steve, you had said you loved that opening tee shot on number one, and it is. It's great visually. <laughs> I pushed it right and never found my ball. So ball. I, yeah, I got off to a bad start here at Windstar, but I'm going to go ahead and blame it on the clubs because I played yesterday at Lakewood. Yep. But knowing that we are having this podcast, I completely forgot to bring my clubs. I was more worried about the recording equipment than I was my clubs. So here's a sample of the club I use. Feel that grip. How nice does that feel? Yeah, that's well broken in, I would say. Uh, the, the you tread, probably got the, two or three grandkids older than that grip right the, there. The treads are coming off that one. Yeah, so struggled out there uh, the first few holes, but started to put it together after that. All right, enough about us. You guys, you are in the process. We talked about it almost 12 years in at Windstar Golf Club. Tell us how you got involved here and, and what the story's been. Well, uh, we, we've been around for 30 years, our, our company, and, and we started, uh, you know, actually thanks to Byron Nelson. Um, you know, I, I met Byron when I, when I first came to town, got involved with, with the Salesmanship Club to do a junior clinic. Through that, Byron kind of liked what we were doing. One thing led to another. 
I eventually got the guts to ask him to watch me hit some balls. Wow. And uh, we, we became friends, and a year or two later, he calls me, and we were in the process of looking to start a, start a company. And Byron said, I understand you're, you're th- talking about doing something. Uh, I want to host a lunch. I want to introduce you to two guys. And uh, through that meeting, he, he uh, Sam Swanson was, was, was my partner. You guys might know Sam. Um, and uh, Sam and I are both from Illinois. And then he introduced us to, to Steve Barley, who was the golf course superintendent at uh, Colonial, and Don Armstrong, who was his assistant. Eventually, Steve went to TPC at Las Colinas and helped him build the TPC, you know, and Don became the, the superintendent. Well, we, we came together that day, and that started our company. Don resigned from Colonial to start our company, huh. which is one of the best jobs, you know, in the Southwest for sure. So we've grown. Uh, we, we, we brought Steve on board uh, 20 years ago. Uh, Steve, Steve had, had a background of uh, 13 years with, with, the, with the Nicholas Group. Uh, had great experience, and it's been a, been a re- really good fit ever since. And since we, we've, we've changed the name to, to Wybring Wolford, you know, to, to share the partnership. So that's the base of, of the company. We've done new designs, we've done renovations, but we've kind of specialized probably in, in renovations. But the, the job up here was uh, this was a test market for the Chickasaw Nation to build a casino. It was a temporary building to see how it would go. It was going pretty well. They, add, they wanted to add an amenity. Uh, we were uh, sought out. We interviewed and got the job, built an initial 18 holes. Uh, they really, the brand was open fairways, very, very playable, get them off the golf course back into the, into, into the casino, and uh, it's grown from there. We've added nine holes and then a, now another nine, so, so we're at the point where we have a championship 18 called Scissor Tail mm-hmm. and a, a, a very playable 18 called Red Bud. And so it's, it's, been a, it's been a process. The goal has been to lift, as they've lifted the, the entire facility, to uh, to raise the standard of, of a world class facility, so we've gone into an improvement plan here recently, and that's that's where we sit today. Awesome. So you guys are partners. How how do you guys interact? What are your different roles within the company? Well, I guess from a uh, if you're talking about a, a new golf course, uh, the most important part of golf design is the routing. Uh, but initially, you would come look at the property together, react to it together um in terms of windstar it was a flat inverted rectangle there sounds was, like a great piece of property there was <laughs> it, it was it was a little plain it, it was a uh, a bean field i think but it was there was nothing to work with so to say that you're going to come out here and let's save that tree or save that creek or th- there was nothing to save or uh initiate any any uh, they built a golf course in Lubbock, I guess. Yeah. Huh. So everything was going to have to be created. So really, it's sort of my, I guess, job to start the routing process and to come up with several different options that we look at then together. Uh, we might come back out here and look at it. In this case, it probably wasn't <laughs> completely necessary because it's just, like I said, it could have been a parking lot. Mm-hmm. but. Um, so it's just to making sure in the routing process you get the, the variety that we both are, are so anal about. Um, 
in terms of dog leg lefts, dog leg rights, uh, short holes, long holes, uphill, downhill, uh, the complete variety. So when you play the golf course, you, you know, quote unquote, use every club in your bag. So the routing is key, even on a plain piece of property. It's, it's very important to, to create safety, to create uh, memorability in terms of different holes every time you stand up on a tee and then create the variety that we talked about. So, um, at that point, we'll, when we decide on a routing and the, the owner blesses the routing as well, we'll start to put the strategy in the golf course. And that's where we sort of play off each other. I may feel something really strongly on a, on a given hole, and, and I, I see it, I feel it. And then DA may have a few holes where he really sees and feels something. And then there may be a, a, a few more holes where we both have question marks over our head and let's just get out in the field and see how it develops. So uh, I'd say we ham and egg it in that way. Um, DA's, the way DA plays the game, he's, he's very in tune to the strategy of the golf courses he plays, kind of like a Jack Nicklaus. Have you Oh no, I no. I'm <laughs> unfortunately I'm I'm uh, I'm probably not even as good as you guys are, but uh, I, I have to work. But uh, <laughs> I work for. He's a a I guess good you're the one that actually does all the work and produces the results. Though. <laughs> yeah, he he's a pretty good player. Don't don't uh, let him sell you. Well, I I think we uh, Da is a very strict strategic player as opposed to maybe the other end of the spectrum you might have the, the example that's always given is the Freddie Couples example is more of a feel and maybe sure. just uh -huh. free freewheeling it a little bit and let it fly and, and, and DA thinks his way around the golf course like a Jack Nicholas and and is a that's the way he designs. So very in tune to the strategy and we will not build a par five without a second shot strategy to it he's going to always want to make you think uh and give you options and uh so that's where he he really keeps me on point in terms of making sure that our strategy is is uh, something that maybe the a, a poor player would not even think about it just go over his head but the better player is going to look in that and go, oh, I like this. I can hit it short. I can challenge. I can carry. Uh, and, that, and that's what he brings to the table, I think. Well, to follow up on that, I, I think we've got a really good partnership because Steve's background, he was a golf course superintendent hired by the Nicholas Group, uh, you know, grew in the hills at Lakeway in Austin, then went on and, and uh, was involved in, in some high-level projects. <laughs> I grew up playing public golf. You know, I, I was a, I was a trunk slammer. My clubs were in the trunk, and <laughs> I was ready to go uh, in in Quincy, Illinois. And so I played a lot of little country courses, a lot of a lot of what we would call bump and run type golf courses. I, I think golf should be played on the ground, not just in the air. Some are architects, and and Jack probably in his early days, if you couldn't flight the ball high in the air and left to right, you'd have a tough time playing. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first got on tour. And I played in the Canadian Open up at Glen Abbey. Uh, I, I, it, it made me go back and rethink my game because every par three was 215 to 225, left to right over a bunker or water. 
and I didn't really have that. I grew, I played in a lot of wind growing up, and I, I kind of a kind of a medium to low ball flight uh, that was right to left. Mm-hmm. So I had to realize I had to change, and so I've been fortunate to, to play, you know, now in 40 years playing the best golf courses in the world, and and so Steve and I, not only from the agronomic side, as two of my original partners brought, Steve brings that as well as his understanding of play. And, uh, and we, we really fight for every inch. If it's a renovation, if it's a new course, we want it to have the balance, but we, we keep challenging ourselves uh, to fight for every inch. When, when we did the TPC at Las Colinas, obviously that, that was a course where Byron statue stands there sure. and the Nelson been played there for all those years. Uh, we were hired after Byron was, uh, had passed on and the golf course had kind of slipped a little bit. Well, one of the things that we did, I sent an email to every player on the Champions Tour and the regular tour with a couple couple key questions, and then what were their favorite three holes? What were their least favorite three holes? What suggestions do they have? And we got down into detail. Now, Steve and I already had our notes down, but we wanted to see how that reacted. We thought we could build, build that uh, momentum, and it came out pretty close to what we thought, and that gave us more encouragement to be a more uh, aggressive a few places we do that with every every pro- every renovation we'll always ask what are your three favorite holes what are your three least favorite holes and sometimes we'll hear eight to ten holes and sometimes we'll hear one mm-hmm. <laughs> well i kind of like number seven but you know that 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 tells you because they fall in love on a private course they fall in love with with certain holes and uh, we, 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 did, we did a course out in West Texas in the first, in the first five Which or course? S- uh, Amarillo Country Club. Okay. And the, uh, the, the committee kind of wanted some improvement of conditions, fairway, maybe some bunkers, maybe a green. And we suggested a master plan. And we said, well, when we look at everything, let's talk to your staff, let's talk to your members, whatever. Let's, and... Uh, some of the guys in the committee thought that was too much, and they said, well, let us go ahead and, and see what we come up with. Well, with Steve's ability to route, and and we were dealing with the strengths and weaknesses of the property, they needed more water storage. One of the places they had water storage was in the middle of the 10th fairway, and nobody could play the hole. The good players couldn't hit it over the lake. The poor players couldn't get it over the lake mm-hmm. in two or three shots. So. We, we kind of eliminated that lake in the proposal, and we added a, a water feature on the front nine that was kind of a rocky, kind of a low area, perfect for a lake, and had a, a nice, nice, nice par three. But four of the first five or six holes were all about 350 yards. And they had played it for so long, they really didn't understand, and they said, you know, you don't have much variety here. So we, we changed up the routing quite a bit, protected all the holes that they loved, and they couldn't wait to get it to their membership. They actually kind of, kind of a funny story, they, they rushed it to the members. Um, it got voted down mainly because one gentleman, 85 years old, uh, rented a bus, went past all the old folks' homes <laughs> in Amarillo, brought them out to vote against <laughs> former members, That's and it got voted down. Sounds like a pure politician. So wow. when they went after it again, uh, they, they got more organized. It voted by about 80%. And, and that guy... He was probably worried his dues were going to go up by $20 a well, month. Well, as it turned out, he was he was the happiest with the renovation. He hit the opening tee shot oh, nice. when it opened a year later. And uh, it's now kind of climbed the charts, and it's uh, in the top 30 
uh, of the state. <coughs> so, I mean, you never know what it takes. You've got to look at all the different options. But, but the biggest point is we, we don't leave anything unturned. We try to fight for every inch. So, Steve, you talked about actually when we were getting the tour of Windstar earlier today, and you mentioned routing, and DA, you just mentioned the master plan. I, I guess this was built prior to the vision of 36 holes and what a second expansion of the hotel. So, what kind of challenge does that bring into how you guys route, design, upgrade? Well, it, it would have been preferred <laughs> to, <laughs> to uh, route and plan for 36 holes, but uh, in deference to the Windstar planners, uh, they had no idea this thing was going to blow up the way it did. So Largest casino in uh, the world. If if you had asked anybody involved with Windstar 12 years ago, well, do you think you'll have 1,500 rooms with 1,000 more rooms planned? I mean, they would have looked at you like you had three eyes. And over 100% 100 occupancy. So I, I think it's been kind of, uh, let's see how this thing goes this year and, and, and plan for, for uh, expansion as we see it needed. So uh, it would have been better to plan for 36 holes. So there's a few little stretches where the, there's some distance between green and tea, but this is, this is not a walking facility. No one walks here. Uh, I've never seen anybody walk no. to play golf here, uh, but we would always route certainly a new golf course to to be walkable and uh and and to fit the land but we do what uh what da was talking about in terms of the similarities between a new golf design and a and a renovation is in a new golf design we would make sure as i said in the routing process that we had the variety that we needed in a renovation we would look at say an amarillo country club and do what I call a scorecard analysis. Distances, directions, variety of par threes, and go through the whole thing and, and see where the shortcomings are. At, at Amarillo, the shortcomings were, wow, there's a lot of 350-yard holes with similar topography. So they're playing the same hole yeah. three or four times on the front nine. So how could we reshuffle a couple things, keep the three or four really good holes, and make it nine great holes instead of three or four good holes. So we were able to, to sort of solve that brain teaser. And it can be little things like at Midland Country Club, we found out that from the blue tees, all the par threes played the same distance. A lot of variety. Yeah, so <laughs> it, it, you just grab your five iron if you're playing the blue tees. <laughs> so it, and we, we do that from the tips to the forward tees to make sure everybody's playing the, the same variety. I, I got that from um, my time with Nicholas and how uh, I was taught to approach new design at the time. I didn't do any renovations with Jack, but uh, is to make sure you have that variety. You do the upfront work, you obey the cardinal rules of golf design up front, and then you wind up with everything you want at the back end. You're not winging it through the process. You set it up that way. And then if you make an adjustment and you go, okay, we just made this a dog leg right, or we turn the angle of this green, that means we got two other greens that are the same angle. So we've got to make a change over there. So it's, you're shuffling a little bit through the process, but. So I got a question without getting too technical and this is, uh, I'm certainly not trying to get too serious, but when you say that the cardinal rules of golf design 
highlight a couple of them. I'm interested in hearing it. Don't start the first hole directly into the east sun. Don't finish into the western sun. What's the Las, ah. what's the Las Vegas tournament course that's always? Well, it's the TPC at Las Vegas. Blinded. So is that cardinal? Is that number one? No, not necessarily. Um, Every piece of property will give you a different challenge. You know, I mean, when you when you look at a at a, a site, you, you got to start thinking about obviously where's your clubhouse going to be, where's your where's your uh, maintenance facility going to be. Now, where's your practice range going to be? The, the practice range used to be a little narrow, little fairway, mm -hmm, and, and, and now it's 10, 12 acres sometimes. Uh, so all those big pods, and you got to lay them out. Are, do, you, do you want nine and eighteen to come back to the clubhouse, or do you want to? Is there going to be more links like you're going to end out? So there's a lot of different factors. But, you know, the, the course there in Vegas, we, we would finish sometimes because of East Coast television, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And if it got delayed a little bit and it got near 5 o'clock, all of a sudden you got this big ball of fire coming across mm -hmm. playing right into you on the 18th hole. In the desert. And you're playing over a lake into the 18th green. So, you know, you, the, the balance, I would say, Steve, on, on, the, on the practice range, you know, a favorable wind to practice. For right-handers, you want a 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock wind, prevailing wind. Uh, you'd rather not have it uh, heading east. Again, early morning, warm up, sure. right mm -hmm. in the sun. Um, so in this part of the world, uh, uh, range heading south like it does here at Windstar is, is uh, perfect. Um, just a couple of more, no no water or uh, water hazards on the first hole. Get them off and running. Uh -huh. um, no uh, road crossings after the first hole. You just get no road crossings at all. Well, that's preferable. <laughs> I mean, if you can, if the proper, property allows we would, you. We would minimize road crossings. Uh, you guys have all played golf courses that you're crossing a road every Mirfield. other hole. Yeah. Oh, well, not Mirfield. Uh, just, yeah. It just uh, destroys the, the ambiance of. The, the golf experience. So uh, those are just a few of them. Um, there's you know, you know, to add in there on the playability side, for us, can you bounce the ball on the green? Because it, if you go play a golf course and you can't, you know, I've played pro-ams for 40 years, and if you get a guy out in the middle of the fairway, say at 170 yards or 165 yards, and he looks up at the green and, it, and there's a lake on the right side and bunkers on the left and there's almost just a walkway onto the green, he may not have that shot. He, you know, it's pretty humbling not to be able to play a shot. Well, I'll just hit it in the water and take my, you know. So if we, if we can do a, a golf course that invites you in, invites all levels, change the angles, the tees for forward players, make it a little tougher for the championship player, where are your hazards? How many times do you put it on the right side? Well, what do most players do? They slice. You put all your trouble on the right side, that's where you're going to find your average player. So all that type of balance and, and bunkering and, and what have you, so it's a different look. So you can always, it can always bring you back. If the golf course invites you in, you create options, bounce. We, we love fairway cut around the green. That, that's a strong thing for me to play bump and run. It's the only place in golf that you can make it. You can challenge a good player because then they have to make a choice, six iron, hybrid to roll it, putt it, eight iron, pitching wedge, sand wedge. Mm -hmm. The average guy's thrilled to just put a club on it and get <laughs> it up on the green because he can't pitch it over even an inch and Certainly, a half or yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you can make it challenging on the good player and easier for a poor player, you're, you're off to a good start. 
Fantastic. So I'm curious, do y'all, when y'all talk amongst yourselves, do y'all consider yourselves the king of Texas renovations? Well, most golf design, most architects, uh, their work today is renovations. There's not very many new golf courses being built. If they are, they're probably high-end. Do you so, know off the top of your head how many Texas golf courses y'all redesigned? Not not Texas. Um, I think he might have the info. Look, at him. look how excited he is looking at his phone. I mean, I'm just in my is research this alone. Test? This isn't a test. This is more <laughs> along the lines of I think y'all, if, if we did some deep research, y'all would be the number one golf course redesigner, especially in North Texas, probably in Texas, just based upon looking at this, right? You've got Cheryl Park. Royal Oaks, Pecan Hollow, Mira Vista, Grapevine Muni, the courses at Water Creek, Waters Creek, Cedar Crest, Amarillo, um, Tennyson Highlands, the Honors Club, TPC Las Colinas, Wichita Falls Country Club, Midland Country Club. I'd like to get you to definitely get you the king of West Texas. We'll get you Lubbock, Golf, Lubbock Country Club next. You can lock up that whole, that whole area of Texas. Abilene. Abilene Country Club, too. Yeah, yeah. Wichita Falls, we've, we've done. <coughs> yeah, yeah, Wichita Falls. Yeah. So a significant amount. That's a pretty significant body of work. Well, in our 30 years, we've done um, over 100 projects, and that's anywhere from consulting, agronomic consulting, uh, renovation, management, design, uh, all the way across the board. It's, it, you know, we've, we've uh, – Affected some some courses and and we really uh, really feel good about our work body of work So I got two questions. So if you're starting new you were talking about the the cardinal rules of starting but You obviously have to do an interview with whoever once the course developed Do you have like a master list of X amount of questions you fire off? well, that's usually them approaching us and uh, The first question they ask is how much property do I need? And so we answer that question, and then we might, in order to kind of subtly interview them to make sure they're real real players, so to speak, um, do they have a water source, uh, access, utilities, you know, just what their plan is, and, 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 and vet them a little bit in terms of, um, I don't have a list, I just kind of start firing questions at them to see if, see if they uh, are real or not. Yeah. And if, if they're not real, but they seem to be earnest, honest people, then we, we try and help them out either with information we can provide or industry partners that we have. If, if they're going to get involved in a golf development and they don't have a, any sort of a feasibility studies, so to speak, if, if we build it, will they come? Then we hook them up with someone that can provide and work on a feasibility study for them. And, I mean, we can do the best job uh, possible, but you want to make sure that the demographics support your Certainly. project. And and many times the, the a failed development is because a guy or a group with a came in and, and let their ego be the guide in terms of how much money they spent to get the thing up and running, as opposed to doing a feasibility and back and into the number. They just well, we spent $20 million. Well, it might have should have been $14 million <laughs> or whatever the numbers are. Let's find out what the numbers are, what your goals are, and see if you can make that work and then and get into it uh, that way. 
I mean, do they want it public, semi-private, private, resort? Are they trying to sell real estate? Uh, is it uh, industrial? Is it is it commercial? Whatever it is, and and we'll listen, and then we'll try to ask the right questions and help guide them. A uh, couple of unique projects is TPC at Deer Run that hosts the John Deere Classic. Mm -hmm. That was my first tournament, and um, uh, I, I, uh, I grew up in Quincy, Illinois, about four hours away. I qualified on Monday after I got my card, made my first cut there, wow. had my first top five, had my first win. So the Quad City event was kind of like one of my majors. As, as my, my dad grew up in a small town, and uh, when, after I got established on tour, I took him to the Masters, took him to Pebble Beach, different places. Every year he'd say, well, what about Quad City? I think you can knock that off again. I mean, that, that was more important to him. How many times did you knock it off? Uh, I won three times. We're going to come back to that. Oh, okay. But, but anyway, towards the very end of their run, they had different sponsors, Hardee's, whatever, but they were, they, they were running out of a title. Uh, the, the golf course was designed by Pete Dye, uh, but, they, but, okay. but they, needed, they needed an upgrade. And so my, my partner, Sam Swanson, who helps, helps start the company, Sam had been in the real estate business. And so we started looking for a piece of property, and we started help selling to John Deere that they were just getting involved in, in the maintenance side of golf. And we said, well, maybe we can work together. And one thing led to another. And we found a piece of property that had uh, historical value and Native American burial sites, all kinds of, it was very unique. And we went to them and I, I'm sitting in the meeting and I said, guys, what better for you to kick off your business here you're you're in the quad cities here uh, it, you 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 could build the golf course with your maintenance equipment you could maintain it with your your golf course line of maintenance and i said and we'll we ought to get the tour involved and this ought to be and it ran th through my brain nothing runs like a deer oh this ought to be tpc at deer run mm -hmm. and they looked at me and they went yeah so that so whole here's a couple million dollars go make this happen. That that whole thing led to we had other investors had another contractor want to do the golf course, but I, I felt very strongly. I said we got to we got to get the tour involved. It took us about a year. We got the tour involved and became a a tour a, a TPC um, project. And now Deer has been the maintenance equipment of the PGA Tour now for 17 years. Very nice, and and it has has protected. They're they're number three in charity, on on the PGA Tour for a for a smaller community. Besides so behind Phoenix and Dallas. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. I think San Antonio will jump in there a little bit sometimes too. But anyway, so that's unique where we actually found the property. We put the people together, down the road outside of Peoria, Illinois, in Metamora, a family came called me and said, "We we think our our community needs a golf course." Well, it's a community of a couple thousand people. Now, it's outside of Peoria. You know, Illinois has a bunch of small towns and then Chicago. And and uh, so I, I met with them. I met with them at the, at the McDonald's when I drove in town. They said, yeah, this field back here, we think would make a nice golf course. Wasn't a tree on it. It was a cornfield. And these folks knew nothing about golf. But what they wanted to do was build a big clubhouse. The missus and her, and her uh, daughter wanted to build a big clubhouse because there's no place to hold weddings and have meetings. And we said, well, the number one thing that goes wrong is people build too big a clubhouse 
that becomes a strain financially uh-huh. on the property. They knew their they they knew their business because we before we said yes, we encouraged them to do a uh, a analysis of the property, which they did. Uh, it turns out. Flash forward, we built them a Lynx golf course. We couldn't make it too rusty because they didn't really understand the history of the game. That wouldn't be pretty for them, but we brought 9 and 18. We put some water on the property. They did 42 weddings last year. Wow. <laughs> when, when they, when they, have, when they have one a week. When it's Father's Day or Mother's Day or Easter or whatever, they have 1,200 people come for brunch. Because the, the the upper part of the clubhouse has windows and looks out over the golf course. There's two lakes right there where nine and eighteen come in. I mean, so they knew it. So you never know. You got to start that conversation and come up with what's the what's the end result does this investor want in the end of the day? New course, renovation, whatever. And we try to try to lead them that direction. Has a developer ever come to you and just said, "Here's the property. I don't want any input. You guys just build it." No. <laughs> no. I, I had a feeling that no. was the answer. No. No. All right. So real quick, what is more rewarding for you guys, a redesign or a fresh design? Because I would think a fresh design, it's pretty cool. You can say, look, here was this piece of property and this is what we've done with it versus a redesign. It's like, hey, this is what it used to look like and look at how much we've improved it. <clears throat> Well, I'll answer first. I, I don't. I don't really have a preference. I, I just. I enjoy the end result. I enjoy the, the the process, the communication, and then bringing it together and have it see it start to come together in the day when they when the, if it's a public course or a resort course or private, and they go play it and you see some joy. I, I enjoy that moment. There, there's nothing that can measure that for me. What about you, Steve? Well, it's, I would make the analogy of. Do you en- would you enjoy a 1968 Corvette completely restored or a Corvette that you drive off the lot, brand new? I would say one day I'd want to drive one, one day I'd enjoy driving the other. That's a great uh, analogy. I, I, like, I like both of them. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a problem solver. I like solving problems. I like creating consensus, consensus on, uh, on decisions and the renovation process is is a kind of a brain teaser anyway, especially if you have a golf course that's doesn't function very well, it's broken. Uh, a project we did for the city of Allen, the the courses at Waters Creek was the it's the old Chase Oaks sure. property. Uh, at the time we it took them a while took us a while to get them to the starting line, but there was a par five that they had uh, reduced to a uh, temporary, well, it wasn't temporary. It was, they had <laughs> reduced it to a par, par three, three because the homes were getting uh, pelted so bad along the slice side. So Creek on the left, now how houses you, on the right with a south wind going left I to mean, right. You have no way of adjusting the hole. How do you, how do you, how do you, how do we fix this? You know, so um, we fixed it. And uh, I won't go into all how we did it, but uh, that's satisfying to someone when a client has a real problem, either through the conditioning or the, the course is not popular anymore, no one wants to play it. How can we help this client uh, uh, spend the least amount of money, get the most amount of bang for the buck, move the needle, as you say, when you open it back up and, 
and really help them be financially successful moving forward. That's really our job. It's not our job to just fulfill our ego of, of what we think the golf course should be. Our job is to is to gather all the information and do what we need to do to make this client successful, to help them be successful. All right, well, Steve, thank you for your time. We know you need to get going, but just last one for you. When you are approached by a developer, I'm assuming they reach out to several designers. So you end up, uh, yeah, like you talked about, interviewing. So mm -hmm. as far as the process mm -hmm. goes, how, how do you differentiate yourselves to you know, win the bid, if you will? Well, I, I, I think they, you know, your former clients have, a, have an effect there. Uh, we always want to give references of our former clients. And we, we had a guy say to us one time, he said, you know, I got three different phone calls back from this client with messages he left, you know, to endorse you guys. That, that tells me something. He's, he's called me three times. So what we try to do is, is give people more than they expect and show the passion, uh, show our, our desire, our urgency to provide them a product and uh, I, I think that that alone I, I, I think we have unique experience given Steve's background being a golf course superintendent you know he's done courses with Jack he's done he's done a couple with Freddie Couples and Johnny Miller uh, I've played for 40 years we've had our company for 30 years we've got two courses on tour uh, so so I think we've we've got some nice credentials but we put as much passion into a a nine-hole uh, little course that we did in Iowa, as we did as we will a tour course, and and so I, I think that that passion will come through. Yeah, so, I would just add to that that to any de potential developer, or even if it's a city or a private person or a, a club, please go play our product. Please, yes. please, you'd be surprised how many times an important decision like that is made on a brochure and a 45-minute conversation. Um, you guys wouldn't completely renovate your house with maybe going or build a new home before going seeing what that architect has done and say, I'd like that, but, oh, I really don't like that. Uh, it, it happens all the time, unfortunately. So you, 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 a committee of 12 people may sit around and, yeah, I like that guy. And they have no idea what kind of golf course they might get as a result of that decision. So just please go play the product and, and, and let that influence your decision. Awesome. Steve, thank you so much for your time. We are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. DA will be sticking around with us, and we'll have another special guest. Steve, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate thank you, you guys. The Golf Bros is a DH1 podcast. For other fun shows like Shakedown Speak or BYO Dallas, head on over to dh1podcast.com or search DH1 in iTunes. You can really help us out if you'll leave a review while you're there. Go ahead. We'll wait for you. Kidding. Let's get back to the show. This is PGA Tour Pro. <laughs> Boy, it just, that sounded really natural. Fucked on phonics here. This is PGA Tour Pro Cody Gribble, and you're listening to the Golf Bros. All right, welcome back to the Golf Bros. We are at the Windstar Golf Club adjacent to the Windstar Casino in Thackerville, Oklahoma. It's about an hour north of Dallas-Fort Worth. World's on largest casino. World's largest casino on I-35. 
We are with five-time PGA Tour winner D.A. Wybring, and joining us, joining us now is Michael Ferguson, the GM and Director of Golf for the Windstar Golf Club. Michael, welcome to the show. Well, thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So now, how did you and D.A. meet? Uh, about the first month I was here in Thackerville, Oklahoma, D.A. and his partner Steve came up. I learned that they were the original design team that built the original 18 holes here at Windstar and talked about how we could do some projects together to get this place going in the right direction to become a really resort destination and provide a really great amenity to all of our patrons here at Windstar. Very nice. And we talked about it a little bit. So there's two courses out here. So talk about the difference between the two. Well, you know, adding the, the latest nine holes uh, gives them 36 holes. And, and so to, to set them up, uh, they, they were kind of played. When we did the original 18, added the other nine, I'm not sure there was a huge preference over the three nines. They were, they were fairly even. The, the last nine we, we think has the best piece of property, a little more movement, a, little, a few more tree-lined holes. And we really felt that that, that was going to be the best nine holes be it be a great place to finish if you had a championship 18 and so th then we then we chose michael and his staff kind of thought through the whole process on which other nine that they thought matched up well and so we we matched the nine holes with that and we just upgraded it uh, put in new white sand in the bunkers uh, added a few bunkers couple tees uh, 180 trees uh, and, and tried to spice it up so it, it, would, it would represent a championship layout. Still very playable. And then the other 18 uh, is still yet to go for an improvement. Uh, it's still very, very playable, but we may even back a few bunkers out there to make, make it a little more of an easier, easier path for, for the average player. Well, congratulations to both you guys because I think – I can speak for Deering in saying that we are just blown away by the experience up here. We've Absolutely. Heard, heard the advertising on sports radio in, in Dallas and just, you know, always thought it was just the casino. And, I mean, this is amazing. Well, it, it's come a long ways. And, and obviously when they started with, a, with a, a temporary building and then they wanted to add the golf, uh, it's grown. And, but I, I've got to tell you, it's taken a huge jump since uh, Michael has joined this facility. Michael, you might share with them your background, where you came from and whatever. Absolutely. Because it, it's impressive. He's got Oklahoma blood in him, but he's he's been around a little bit. I do. Thanks, DA, for the for the nice comment and segue. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my, my grandfather is how I got in the game of golf. Are you here his and, boss, by the way? Uh, no, we're partners in this, <laughs> in this venture. So uh, I was basically introduced to the game by my grandfather. He was a longtime pro up in Oklahoma City at a club called Lincoln Park Golf Club. Um, he rose to vice president of the PGA of America. Wow. He was very influential. Uh, he's got the nickname Mr. Golf in Oklahoma member of the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame. And so really, that was really what sparked my passion to get into the industry. Went to Oklahoma State University, had aspirations of playing college golf up there. Uh, actually got to work at Karsten Creek and got to meet guys like Charles Howell, Bo Van Pelt, Leif Westerberg, and realized very quickly that 69 or 70 wasn't going to get it cut with those guys. So <laughs> asked uh, at the time Coach Mike Holder for a job in the golf shop. And that's really where the passion started, was um, getting to experience really world-class golf with a Tom Fazio-designed property, 
had the opportunity after college to go out and work for a gentleman named Roger Maxwell out in Scottsdale, Arizona. Some things went really well for me out there and got the opportunity at 29 to take over PGA West, the uh, the TPC Stadium and the Jack Nichols Tournament course. Uh, ran events such as Q School every other year, which DA can tell you was the, the Good Walk Spoiled book that came out yes. by John Feinstein. Good old days. That was great. And I uh, got the opportunity to help with and run the Bob Hope Classic uh, the last year when Arnold Palmer was the 50th anniversary starter and kind of the spokesperson for that event and got a call back from Mr. Wayne McCormick here at Winstar to ask me to come back to Oklahoma. It was difficult to leave Palm Springs, the beautiful weather, but, you know, coming back here and getting the chance to run an amenity-based operation and really focus on customer service, uh, adding some entertainment value to the golf course, and then obviously getting the chance to work with DA and Steve on enhancing the already beautiful property to what it's become today. And to DA's point, we're not done. We're, uh, we're looking at some opportunities to really bring golf enthusiasts back to the state of Oklahoma that's only had the opportunity to host a few major events that they are, but uh, not a real consistent tour stop for the, for the best players in the world. So you said uh, Lincoln Park Golf Course. Is that where the band got their name? Uh, I don't believe the band got their name, but my son is named Lincoln Parker Ferguson after the golf course. (laughs) That is awesome. That was a pretty neat story. My grandfather, they called him UC Ferguson, and Urban Clarence III didn't sound like a good name for my son. So, (laughs) Gramps, if you're up there in heaven, I I apologize. I'm not making fun of your name, but I don't don't think Lincoln would have been well-received at at school if he would have been named Urban Clarence III. So... A lot of history in Oklahoma, and to DA's point, I I love what I do, and I have a deep passion for bringing some golf back to Oklahoma. As I mentioned, he brought that experience here and that hospitality here, and that the 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 goal early on, as I mentioned before, was supposed to be a nice a nice little playable golf course, and he just came from PGA West, okay, right, And, and the Bob Hope Classic and whatever, and so to lift it to be world class destination. Uh, resort uh, that was exciting for Steve and I and, and to hear that focus and the energy he's brought you know they they had 50 VIP members uh, when he came now they have 700 so he's in, he's in, he's enhanced he's enhanced the business he has enhanced the reputation and we're excited about the future so Michael brought up something interesting talking about Q school did you play in Q school I did uh, many many years ago I I, I missed my my first Q school at Disney in 1975, in that the fall, uh, they had a three. It was a six-round tournament. They didn't have a regional and a sectional. It was a one. It was it was it was twice a year, and uh, I, I missed the three-round cut. Okay. But so did a pretty good player named Sevi Ballesteros. He was in that same qualifying school. Heard wow. Of and so I, I I went to work as an assistant pro up in Michigan. Uh, the the pro in my hometown's brother was the pro there. Okay. And I lived in the shack behind the range with the with the the, the janitor. He and I he and Jack and I <laughs> hung out and I did all the teaching and whatever. And I let it be known that I wanted to play. I needed sponsorship. And thankfully, uh, I was at Red Run Golf Club right outside Detroit. Great great old club. They'd hosted Motor City Open, uh, Western Opens. And I, I put together some some sponsors. I had 32 old school way. Right? I had 32 yeah. sponsors, but I, literally, I, I did a contract. Uh, a couple guys stepped up and said, "Da, we want to help you." 
and I, I won the three or four assistance tournaments that year. I finished second in the Michigan Open. So I played well enough, and this was a really good playing club. And so we did a contract, and one day, literally on a Saturday afternoon, a guy grabbed the contract and said, let's go get some guys signed up. And I was going to go through the whole membership list and kind of pick out people who I knew the best. He said, no, I got this. And he walked in the grill and threw the, the, my contract down on the table. Four guys sitting there said, guys, it's going to cost you 1000 a year. We're going to try to help put DA on a tour. Sign up here. And by the end of the day, he had 25 guys signed up that afternoon. That? And, and so that, then I, I, I went back to the Q School that fall, and I made it through the six rounds, but I missed by like three shots. Wow. So now I'm 0 for 2. And my wife, Christy, picked me up from that, and we, we drove to Florida. And thankfully, I won the first a little mini tour event I played in. I won, won a couple that winter. And I went back to work at Red but those Run. Those didn't feed into no, the, that. No. This was hardcore. These were all these golf. little mini tour events. Yeah, yeah. And then there was the one Q school. Well, I came back and here I'm, here I'm doing all the teaching. I'm the number one assistant, uh, you know, and I, I went to my boss and I said, I don't want to wait until I'm playing pretty good. I don't want to wait until November or December. I really want to go to the June school. Now, how do I, how do you, working in Michigan, how do you take two weeks off to go to a qualifying school or, or 10 days? And they asked the board, and they were behind me, and, and I, I, went, I went to Pinehurst, and I got my card at Pinehurst, and I've never seen a, a, a Q school since. So it, it took three times. Well, I'm curious so. to know, is it, from what I've gathered and from what I've read, is it, was it that significant in terms of nerves and everything you read about the pressure of Q school? Yes, Yes, it, it really was. I, I, never in my life had I turned my left hand under to putt, and I somehow that week kind of found a way I could kind of turn my left hand under and lock the, that left wrist, and I really stayed really stable. I've always been a, a pretty good short game, pretty good putter. But coming down the stretch, I had to make some five or six footers. I was playing with Robert Hoyt, who was a longtime pro at, uh, at Brook Hollow. Mm-hmm. And Robert was a great player, played it, I think he played Houston or Texas, I can't, I think it was Houston. But I made the putts coming down the stretch, and I, I got my card by two or three, but I've never felt pressure. I've never felt the elation walking off that green, seeing my wife, hugging her, realizing I was going to have my chance to play the tour. And, and that, that was a moment I'll never forget. But, I mean, Curtis Strange was a pretty good player. Curtis and I are the same age. He missed the first two times in the Q school. And he got it that, that, that year. So, yeah, it was, there was no given. And then, now, I'll, I'll quiz you guys. So my, so my first full year on tour. See, I, I asked the tour, can I go back to, to Michigan and work the rest of the summer until September? Because I don't want to leave my boss hanging. Okay. And, can I, and they said, well, yeah, you can start whenever you want to, but you got a year to make your official money. And I said, oh, okay. So I went back. I worked, I worked the men's invitational, the ladies' invitational, the next two weeks. And then they all thought I needed to go play. And so I, 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 I went to play. But how much money do you think I had to make? 35. 35,000? Yep. Guesses? I'm going to go. To ahead. keep your card. This is 125. I guess I didn't no, have 125. This was back top then. 60, qualifying Ooh. on Monday. And what year was this, DA? 1977. I'm going to stick with my original number, 27,000. Okay. Wow. Uh, I'm going to go 
eighteen thousand. Okay, out, out of a out of a thousand guys who went to the qualifying school, twenty five guys got their card. Okay, all right. We had to make five thousand dollars official money to keep your card. <laughs> your wife you're must have been really. You're hired here. <laughs> five thousand like, dollars. We're rolling in it. Five thousand dollars. <laughs> of course, I had sponsors of of thirty two guys for a thousand apiece. I had thirty two thousand to live on. Okay, but five thousand dollars was a fair amount of. I mean, the, my my first top twenty five finish, I made eleven hundred dollars. Well, thirty-two thousand though—that was you'd make. That was making a lot of money out, straight out of college, uh, at, at that age, right. right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. But but I mean, it, it really was. I mean, so your first year you had to make five thousand. Your next year you had to make seven thousand, and then it stayed that way. That's why a lot of guys kept their card for a while, and kept qualifying on Monday. You know, they they had they had some access, and then then it changed. Really, was Gary McCord was the one that kind of kind of threw the one twenty-five out there. So guys could have a kind of a guaranteed schedule. So Michael, if the all you had to make was five thousand bucks, do you think you could have made it then? <laughs> no, I could not. <laughs> so on that story, I just attended the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame last Sunday, and Doug Tool was inducted into mm-hmm. the Oklahoma Golf Hall of Fame. Very similar story. He was working for Mr. Maxwell at Camelback Country Club, and he went to Roger and said, "Roger, I'm going to go play in some Monday qualifiers." Uh, can I have off next week to go and play in this tournament up at Pine Top Country Club? Roger said, I tell you what, I'll give you Thursday and Friday off. I need you back here on Saturday. He said, well, I'm, I have to play on Saturday and Sunday. He goes, no, you probably won't play, Doug. I've seen your swing. And so Doug said that was kind of the motivating factor that got him really energized to say, you know, I'm going to prove to this guy, this PGA professional guy, that I can actually play. I mean, he just came out of Oklahoma State as an All-American and uh, right along with you as well. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, well, it's interesting because I I decided after playing my first few months – you know, playing that Nicholas golf course, I, I, you know, I didn't hit the ball high enough. I didn't work it left or right. I wasn't as good a bunker player as I should be. That's from playing all the public golf growing up. And and so I went that winter and worked with a guy named Bob Cook in Florida who taught under Bob Toskey mm-hmm. and really changed some things. I improved my posture, improved my, my blade going back. I got the ball in the air a little higher. Uh, it really improved. And, and – uh, Peter Jacobs and I didn't know each other at all in college. And, you know, when we first got on tour, he was on tour six months before I was, and we kind of connected playing practice rounds. Before we know it, you know, he noticed a big improvement when I made over the winter and said, I, I, I want to go see that guy. So I sent a number of guys to, to Bob to Bob Cook. But one, one of the times I was there seeing Bob Cook, Bob Toskey was there to do a little clinic. And given that Doug Tool story, Bob Cook asked Toskey to watch me hit a couple balls. So I got off on the side, and I hit three seven irons, and a bunch of the members at, at Turtle Creek Golf Club there in Tequesta, Florida. They were watching me, and I kind of got to know them a little bit. So I hit three seven irons, and Toski, being a little guy, kind of liked to demand respect real quickly and turned around and said, well, wait, let me understand something. He was playing to the members who were watching. He said, D.A., you're trying to play the tour with that swing? <laughs> <laughs> And I said, uh, yes, sir, I'm doing the best I can. I'm trying to make some improvements. You know, I played it real straight. I didn't, didn't get upset. But the members started to get upset. They didn't like that angle. And, but that was motivation. I was just 
I was just changing some things. But I, I got better. And uh, so there are motivations along the way <laughs> that, that, that get you going. But you had to earn your way. And many times there were 150 guys qualifying on Monday for 20 or 25 spots. So you would, you know, you would get in. You play Thursday and Friday. Then if you'd make the cut Thursday and Friday, whew, now I'm in the next week. You'd almost relax a little bit on Saturday and Sunday because the, the pressure was off. But if you didn't play any good, you didn't make any money mm -hmm. because they only paid 70 players. If 80 guys made the cut, 10 guys didn't get paid because the purse was only seven. Still one of the beauties of golf is that cut line, right? Yeah, you got to earn your way. Is that why they call it moving day? Because it's basically you've made you've made it past yeah. the finish line on Friday, so now there's a, a relaxation. Well, I think the biggest thing to moving day is Saturday morning. If you know there are guys, I mean, I know Seve won one year at Greensboro. He might have been the first guy to tee off on Saturday, but but the margin from the lead to the cut was like seven shots or eight shots. So you get out early on Saturday. And, and now in twosomes, so we've been playing twosomes a long time, and not much wind and smooth greens, Green, you can yeah. put a good score on the board. By the time the guys play late, the wind's up, the pressure's a little more involved. You know, you, you might the guys in the afternoon might, might shoot even par, uh, which wasn't a bad score then. But early in the morning, out on your own, 65 might have been available. So yeah, there, there's your moving day. All right, let's bring it back here to uh, Winstar. Michael, what can players who are coming up here expect? Like, we, you've given us the, the Royal Tour. There is a lot to offer here. So why don't you uh, give the pitch on what players can expect when they come up here? Sure. Like I said originally, we're, we're very uh, amenity-based and customer service-based golf facility. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, we're not focused on driving revenue. We're focused on driving fun and experience. So... Some of the fun offers we have here at Windstar are Monday through Thursday. You can come up, play golf for $79, and we give you a dozen Pro V1 or Pro V1 X balls. So what, What's that net, $20 round? <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not here to make money, as my boss tells me in the golf industry, which a different business philosophy for me over the last 22 what years. What a great but, deal. You know, you get your cart, your range, your bottled water, you know, hopefully great customer service from the staff from the time you arrive in your car till the time you leave. And if you're looking at just going beyond and getting better at the game, we have a world-class golf academy here that we're sitting in the lounge of right now. Uh, we've got talented instructors. Bill Canodal has been teaching for over 20 years. He's uh, He basically takes on the majority of our VIP members and teaching them how to get better acclimated to understanding golf, playing more rounds of golf while they're up here in the resort atmosphere. John Stevenson's one of the top 100 club fitters in America. He's also our gears technician, which we were one of eight facilities in the world What's to the obtain gears? that. Yeah, for it's, the layman. For the layman, it's basically an MRI for your golf swing. We put you in a body mapping suit. Lifelike avatar goes up on the, the screen basically allows us to diagnose what's going good and what might not be going so good in your golf swing. Area for improvement. Absolutely. Yeah. Then that's it's where outstanding. Kind of, really where John and Bill kind of tag team our efforts on the fitting and the instruction side. We have all the bells and whistles when it comes to Sam putting. We do the fittings here on site. Uh, John does a lot of great business. New PXG, Bob Parsons Golf Company. We're one of their top accounts in the country. We are the number one Titleist golf ball account in the United States. And we just, we offer a lot of fun experiences. It's kind of a, 
a golf Disneyland, if you will. We've got the coolest and the best roller coasters, and we've got guys that man those that have basically their directors of fun, if you will. There's no pressure to buy. We just enjoy the experience to provide to the patrons. Yeah, Deering likes to think he's a PXG player. <laughs> he has the clubs, but they know how to they, play. They're great. <laughs> they're wonderful. Listen, they're when like you walk out, when you pull your clubs out of the trunk, you look great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you what, they're like cheating, especially those fairway woods and the hybrids make it dramatically easier to hit. Well, one other thing, Michael, I, I mentioned the VIP program, and you've really, you've really promoted that and enhanced that. So a player who w wants to come up and spend a weekend or whatever and have a little fun at the, at the casino, explain how that works. Sure. It's, uh, it's based on frequency of trips and obviously your gaming habits. Uh, if you come over and you frequent the casino enough, earn enough points, we basically give you a free membership for golf, which gives you unlimited golf. Uh, two services a month in the academy, and that can be utilized on club fittings, play with the pro, lesson packages. So basically where most of your club members at private clubs pay a certain amount, we provide them an entertainment experience at the casino and basically give them carte blanche at the golf facility to take a break from the gaming floor. Nobody can game 24 hours a day, and everybody <laughs> understands well, that. Every once in a while you can. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you're on a gaming bender, I guess you could. But we're, I've done we're, it a couple times when I was younger. But. <laughs> <laughs> We've got some great restaurants. We've got two great restaurants coming in. Mickey Mantle's and Kirby Steakhouse wow. will be opening up live here in about a month. Awesome. Uh, we've got some great entertainment venues. I think we had, out of all the acts last year, 44 Grammy award-winning acts that came up and performed at Windstar, not to mention all of the 7,480 casino slot machines we have for you to, to participate on. Uh, Is that part of new hire training? Absolutely. Okay. You have to know how many games. <laughs> and we're just here as an entertainment venue. Obviously, the... The DFW area is a big segment of our market. We're in Oklahoma, but we get a lot of traffic from the I'm, DFW area. You know area. what? Just coming up here, and I told told you all this earlier, is that young young man, 25 to 30, great place to have a weekend getaway, easy to get to, gambling, great golf, easy in and out. Highly encourage anyone to think about it because most of our golf trips would go to we'd go to Frankston or somewhere like that. Much more excitement, much more to do around here. Well, and the advantage, too, is that, you know, everybody understands with all the, the restrictions on flying now, it takes you a couple hours to get to the airport. you got to go through baggage checks, security. Well, you jump in your car, you get a little stay vacation. If something, God forbid, happens where your house floods, an emergency with family comes up, you're a short hour drive away from getting back home, and we try to take the stress away when you get here. It's kind of a, a home away from home for a lot of our DFW patrons. Well, like I said, you guys have done an amazing job because I've always wondered is how are they getting all these entertainment acts coming to Thackerville to a quote-unquote casino? And being here today is I, I fully appreciate <laughs> why this place is growing. I mean, you guys are doing an amazing job. So talk about the – you were talking about the VIP program there's a lot of cars in the parking lot. What's going on there? Uh, a lot of cars this weekend in the parking lot. We are partnering with Crest Cadillac. We are having a hole-in-one classic event on Sunday. Basically, our VIP patrons qualify for certain events that we host here at the golf club. This weekend, we're doing a hole-in-one classic where we're turning all 36 of our holes into par threes. 
It's basically a hole-in-one contest. There will be a brand-new Crest Cadillac or Crest Infinity on every tee box. A hole-in-one wins you the car. That's so awesome. The 36 closest to the hole winners, which will be awarded on all 36, will then go to a shootout. If one of our lucky patrons happens to make a hole-in-one on the shootout hole, they're going to walk away with a million dollars and a Crest Cadillac. God, that is awesome. Very cool. Well, let's talk about the actual course Deering and I played, the Scissor Tail Championship yes. course. So before we get into the specifics of it, you got plans for hosting an event possibly in the future? I, I think that's the goal to work that direction. And uh, if everything kind of comes together the right way, that might happen. But uh, my, Michael and his team have already brought the world long drive here, uh, which is right around September 1st. Uh, what, three years you've had now? Yeah, this was our third year of hosting it and partnering with the Golf Channel and NBC. So we've got two more years on our current contract, and it was pretty exciting this year. It was uh, it was the best year we've had so far. A lot of exposure. Uh, had a great competition. 443 yards was the the longest <laughs> ball this year. So <laughs> try that out. What what did we figure out from the actual driving range to the green we were looking at? What was it? 720 uh, yards. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> because the grid goes through the the corner of the range and it comes out into the first fairway on scissor tail which is a little dog leg right par five so they they keep it mowed they, they mark it up they do it at night it's under the lights uh if people are listening to this now it'll probably be re-ran a number of times uh more for the end of the year on, on the golf channel yeah that'll run uh thanksgiving christmas eve uh new year's day just to kind of keep people's refreshed about these guys are really truly athletes and they put on a wonderful show for us here at one star male and female yeah we had the four women this year they set world records they all four hit it over 400 yards in one of the regional <laughs> events wow and these women are not six foot five 280 pounds these are beautiful athletic women that you would most likely see on the lpga tour and they've just got swing speeds that DA and I wish we could get to. Wow. <laughs> All right, a couple holes that I remember from our tour. So you okay. were gracious enough to give us a little tour this morning. Number six, we talked about that's the one where the – Par four. Par four. And that, is that the one with the new tee box? Yes. In back. So David and I played that. I happened to par it. During <laughs> how'd you do? I had a triple bogey. I heard we had a little pitch out to the right on the second shot <laughs> yeah. Yeah, his, from yes. the fairway. His, his approach was a little <laughs> off. The drive was fantastic. For those it of was. you that can't see this, obviously, there's a <laughs> grin on one face and not so yeah. much of a grin on yeah. the other. Yeah, this is great humor for a podcast where no one can see us. <laughs> exactly. exactly. And then number eight, the par three. Par three. It's funny, you talked about that right. you like the variety is you can – you can, you can approach it on the left, so you could bounce it up on the left. You could actually do that on the right as mm -hmm. well. But it's funny because you were talking about how Jack is just – it's a high – you want to play everything, high a high cut, right. and yep. you put in a nice big bunker right there, and Deering hit a beautiful high butter cut right into the beach. <laughs> <laughs> and you even called the pin placement when we drove by. You're like, that's a pro pin placement. Right. And you know what? I hit it to my bunker shot to two and a half, three feet. It's just snapped hard right, missed it. it. But it's that beautiful new sand, that new white. Uh, 
white white sand. It's, very, it's fantastic. Easy to get out of. Absolutely. Well, that's a that's a wide green. It, it, you you played it all the way back, so you played uh-huh. it for about two twenty. I hit my two twenty huh. club okay. right in, just right in the. Lip. So so it's it's a generous bounce in area to the left. It's a it's a longer bunker uh, coming at you that kind of divides the green, and so if the pin's far right, you could kind of play over the right side or. You actually could probably take it down the left side and cut it, and it would feed back mm-hmm. to that back, back pin. So it's a, it's got a little length, but it's fair. Yeah, it's a tough the, – the pin placement today is right on that hill, so I played it back left, so I had to come over the hill. Pin high. I, yeah, I had about a 30-footer pin high, came over the ridge, and I had about a 20-footer coming back <laughs> and just burned the edge. So Deering and I both had it was It wasn't your putter, right? You, you had to borrow a putter. Yeah, I'm, I mean, the whole round was obviously my clubs. So <laughs> let's see. Uh, Michael, how many times have you played out here, or what's, what's your best round out here? Well, if my boss is listening, I've play maybe once a quarter <laughs> good answer but, uh, squeeze it in uh, with, when the vips we obviously like i said we're an amenity business so vips coming out i try to at least get out once a week and play nine holes with either vip patrons or the staff kind of keeps us up to date on areas of improvements uh charles wise and his team do a wonderful job here but we have a lot of fun and to da and steve's credit they've really created something here prior to my arrival that it was a beautiful portrait. We've just came in and we've partnered together to really add some polish to it. And it's a fun golf course. I think most golf courses are playable for any level of play. But here you've got a really opportunity to to showcase something that is wonderful design, a great little addition to the Oklahoma golf section. And it's, it's going to be exciting in the future. To DA's point, I would love to have a tour event here. I think it would be a, a great venue to have it. Obviously, the entertainment aspect of the casino and all of its amenity-based programs. But it's a lot of fun. The greens are always in good shape. And most golf courses, if the greens are in good shape, it's a fun day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's go back to DA and have a little fun here. So Deering called it the senior tour rather than the champion. tour. He said tour. that twice now. I've, I've had to correct him. <laughs> So we we have a question for you. Let, let's see and test your memory. So you won one tournament three times. Do you remember the title sponsor or what the name of the tournament was all three times? Well, the first time it was the Ed McMahon Quad City Open. Close. Close, yes. That wasn't right? Ed McMahon JC's Quad City oh, Open. Oh, okay. I, did, I, I forgot about the JC's. Okay. And then the second time, it would have been Hardy's. Correct. September 15th, 91. And the third time, it was the Quad City Classic presented by John Deere. Correct. Who did you beat in September 15th, 91, the Hardy's Golf Classic? Well, one stroke, two players. uh, Paul Azinger. Correct. um, Greg Norman and Peter Jacobson. Does not list Greg Norman. It lists uh, Peter Jacobson. Well, it, it, it's on the internet. It doesn't mean it's right. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> I, 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 think, I, I think it might be right though, because I, I think it's all three of them. But you know, Greg may have finished one back. I'm not sure. But but it was you beat uh, him once at the Beatrice Western Open by one shot too. So yes. you, yeah, you own it. Greg Norman. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the Wikipedia, shark. when we were doing our deep dive on the research, <laughs> Wikipedia revealed that. 
Peter Jacobson is a good friend. So he is. It's funny yeah. that, that that you mentioned him. See, Wikipedia is. is accurate. As a matter of fact, he's called me recently because he heard about the gear system. He wants to come up here and get on the gear system here at Windstar. So you mentioned Curtis Strange also. That was something we looked at when we were coming up. You finished third at the was it PGA or U.S. Open? U.S. Open at uh, in 89. It might have been 87. I want to say it was 87 was a career year for you. I, my my notes aren't pulling up right now. It was U.S. Open and PGA. Well, I, I actually, I had the lead on the back nine at the golf club up in uh, Boston. Line. Uh-huh. And uh, Curtis and uh, Nick Faldo were in the last group. And Larry Mize and I were playing together either in the second to last group or the third to last group. I can't remember. But they had a kind of a fractured layout there where they had two 18s and they had a blended 18. Okay. And I, the 14th or 15th hole was a, was a par five. I think it was 14. And all of a sudden, uh, a USGA official comes up and because Larry and I didn't really see where the group was in front of us. And but we knew where the group was behind us, which was Curtis and and, uh, and Nick. And all of a sudden, they put us on the clock. And here at that at that that point in time, I was either tied or one back. I was right in the mix, and it just wasn't. It was it was a par five where you had to you laid it up, and you had to really kind of walk up and see where the pin was, and walk back and, and think just, about your second shot. It just really yeah, it really wasn't the right place in time. But anyway, that that it wasn't helpful. But I wanted to finish in uh, third there. And they, they want to win the playoff. So, All right, so Deer Run, which you designed, that's where Jordan got his first win, correct? It is. So did, when look, you were designing that bunker on 18, did you have the history that would be created there in mind? Well, you know, th- th- that golf course has really created uh, – Claire Peterson, who's the uh, tournament director now and has done a wonderful job there. As I mentioned, th- they've raised more money per capita than any tournament on the PGA Tour. I think third overall, but the vision there when we found that property was we had to find how you're going to access in where's the clubhouse going to be. We knew where the maintenance facility was going to be. There was an old horse stable there because the the family had uh, had had raised horses. But when we sighted the clubhouse, I, I just thought there was a perfect opportunity for the finish. Um, 14 was going to be uh, a downhill drivable par four that I thought was just it was just there. We just had to kind of clear it and and build a green. But then 15, 16, 17, and 18 would 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 work alongside the Rock River back and forth to the finish. And a lot of the TPCs were being built as Dallas was initially, as Phoenix, different places with large mounding. To put people, spectators, and it was it was terrific. It was it was stadium golf. Problem was those those hillsides didn't look as attractive uh, the rest of the year compared to the the week of the tournament. So our goal there was because we had some natural terrain was to build the golf course into the property and use those natural hillsides. Well, I, I really felt like we could have great drama those last five holes and. Through 17 years, we really have. We've had great finishes. Um, I, I did think about that back pin placement in the back right bunker, 
actually, if, if Jordan's ball doesn't go in, it probably goes in the water. <laughs> and uh, but but it's a, it's a long green with with mild contours. And uh, every year, I, I get a little text from from Claire Peterson. He said, "Da, we did it again. We had a great finish." And and I, and I think that that's become one of the traditions of the tournament. They, they've shot lower scores. Um, we designed that in '97. The ball goes 30 plus yards further now compared to then, and uh, and it's it's kind of ironic because many times that the date is in late July or August, and for some reason we're we're, we're coming up with a north wind in the summertime in Illinois than when it's 90 degrees, so you you can't push the greens to be maybe as firm and quick as you'd like because of bent grass you're just trying to keep them alive at 90 plus degrees. And a north wind, that the finishing holes are, are designed to have three of those holes play into a south wind. And when you turn that around, that makes them a little bit easier. So, so the scoring has been, has been low, but they've got a great uh, uh, birdies for charity promotion that helps raise a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> so in our deep preparation and research for this. <laughs> yeah, you guys are deep, I can tell. We, we came up with Wybrain Golf Club. Yes. All right. So college alumni golf course? It's Illinois State University golf course. Uh, I graduated from Illinois State in '75, and uh, we had a great coach. And the former coach became the AD, and and we had we were a top 20 program. Uh, a couple years after that, as I went through my qualifying school story, as you mentioned, I got on tour. I wanted to go back and and do a fundraiser, and so we did a fundraiser there for 25 years, endowed all the all the golf scholarships. Wow, and. Uh, about halfway through that, 1998, maybe it was, the campus rec ran the golf course. Okay. And they just they got an endowment or, or a, a, something from the university student fees for $1.6 and they were going to take the clubhouse, put it on the opposite side of the property, and then be able to build a practice range. But they were going to pull it apart from the campus because it's right connected to the campus. And I heard about that, and I and I went to the athletic director and the president, and I said, "Why are we spending money on a clubhouse? People don't come to play clubhouse." That's one of my former partners said. We got to put it on the golf course. The golf course was was an okay golf course. The routing was okay, but it really needed some help. And well, I guess that's what they're going to do. And I said, "Well, if that's what they're going to do, I'm sorry. I I need to step away because I don't believe in that." And I've been happy to do the fundraiser for this many years. And, and, you know, good luck to you. And about a week later, the president called me and said, well, I got that stopped. Now what do we do? <laughs> and I said, let's put it into the golf course. And so we had to go through the, the interview process. And, and they, they hired us. And we redid the golf course. And then in 07, I guess it was, they came to me. We were doing TPC at Las Colinas. And the athletic director at that time, the golf coach, that they flew down and they saw what we were doing there. And they said, we'd like to rename it in your name. It's the 150th anniversary. And they were going to rename the basketball floor in Doug Collins's name, who's a very close friend. He's two, Doug's two years older than I am. And they want to rename the golf course. And I said, you know, I'm always going to know that you ask me. But unless you can maybe spend a little more money on the maintenance of the golf course, uh, I, I think I need to say thank you, but no thank you. And they said, well, well what if we do that? And I said, if, if we can use this point in time to move forward, then I'm in. But I just want to lift the standards. And I said, we also need a practice area. 
I said, okay, well, they've done that. And they've got a beautiful practice area now we've built for the for the golf team. And uh, actually, I just the last two years, I've gone back and recommitted to them because I, I stopped doing the fundraiser. We raised the money. I was going on the Champions Tour. I was going to be pretty busy with that. And I went back, and I've been so inspired by this young superintendent they've got at the golf course. Uh, obviously, very honored to have my name on. Certainly. On, and, and I'm certainly committed. But uh, we're recranking. I said, I'm, I'm in for a few more fundraisers. We had one this this uh, uh, June, and uh, I'm committed for a couple more years. I've written a letter to all the former players who played in the program, men and women. I'm saying, I need for you to write a check. My wife and I are going to lead the way with the check. Nice. And we're going to put a few more dollars into the golf course. And we're going to build a team building on the range. And, you know, who knows what we can do. I mean, the clubhouse or whatever. So it's been a great place. They were smart, I guess, because I, I definitely feel committed with my name on it. Now, Absolutely. Now, now to talk they to my – They gave you everything you wanted. Now you're completely pregnant. You're like now, now when I talk to my grandkids and they see a flag with Wyburn Golf Club or a, a scorecard, that, that's kind of exciting. So Who's BMOC? You or Collins? Well, Doug, Doug is the man. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the man. And uh, uh, what he's accomplished, he didn't start on his high school basketball team as a junior in high school. <laughs> And he was the first pick in the draft five years later. Really? I didn't know he was the first pick in the draft. First wow. pick of the draft, the, the 76ers. He's in the Hall of Fame as a broadcaster. Uh, he actually just got, you know, he, he told me before this happened, but the Bulls gave him his first job uh, in the NBA. He never, he had an assistant coaching job with Arizona State with Garfield Hurd and, uh, and Henry Bibby. We were the three assistants in Arizona State. Wow, that's impressive. And uh, so he uh, he gets hired by the by the Bulls uh, three years. He built the he built the team. uh, Got fired. He did the same thing in Detroit. He did the same thing uh, in Washington. And so uh, last week he was rehired by the Bulls as a as a consultant. They they've reached out to him. Every place that he has been hired or fired which is the nature of a coach sure they've they've tried to rehire him back he's probably turned down 25 jobs in the nba wow uh he's he's a remarkable guy He's a, yeah. he's a very close friend. And we, well, we also knew that he was a close friend because Wikipedia also Wikipedia. Said, <laughs> said your buddies with Dave oh, Collins. Deep, very deep you guys did some hard work on the way up here this morning, didn't you? We did. All right, a couple more for DA, and then we'll finish up with Michael. So we're not going to put you in the uncomfortable position of saying who did you dread playing with in tour, but who did you like being paired with that you woke up and you're like, sweet. Well, I've been asked that question a number of times. And, you know, my, my best friend on tours we've mentioned is Peter Jacobson. Sometimes when you get paired with your best friend, it's not always a good thing. Peter and I got paired together the last round of the Players' Championship. And I had finished second in the, in the Players' Championship in 85, had a chance to win, and, and Calvin Pete kind of went nuts and, and, and won. But we, we thought we're going to have a great day. We're going to play good. We're going to support each other well. Uh, I, I forget who. One of us got off to a slow start. The other one felt bad, and then then he started playing bad. You know, we, we we think we shot seventy nine and eighty one <laughs> the last round. <laughs> it was a, it was a tough day, a windy day at Sawgrass. <clears throat> that, that can happen. But uh, I always loved playing with Ben Crenshaw. I always loved to see his hands go on the club. Not only a putter, but you know, and Ben became a, a a really really good friend. You know, you pay attention uh, when you're paired with Jack Nicholas. I was paired with him seven or eight times 
Uh, obviously, t- Tiger was was very interesting, uh, and Arnold Palmer. I only got got paired with Arnold. Arnold was always my favorite player growing up. But the year of the Players Championship, um, we got paired with together also with P- with Peter Oosterhuis. And I had the lead of the tournament coming down the stretch, but I was a lot more concerned. I wanted Arnold to make the cut coming down on Friday. And uh, Arnold made made a birdie at 16 and then had to make about an 8-footer at 18 and made it and made the cut on the nose. And, you know, and I, I'm walking in it having the lead after two rounds. But, I mean, he's got that type of charisma. And then the next morning I'm on the end of the range – Apparently, he'd already finished. He teed off early, came in, and I felt these hands on my shoulder, and it was Arnold. He had me by the shoulder, kind of, and he leaned, leaned down and said, listen, nobody's playing any better than you are. Now go win this damn thing. How great is you that? Know, wow, that is awesome. You, know, you, don't, you don't forget things, things like that. So. And your last victory was 96 Hartford Open. That was Tiger's first year out, right? Well, I actually, I actually had five wins on the Champions Tour. Don't Sorry. forget the seniors tour. <laughs> no, please don't forget this. Sorry, yes, on the PGA tour, but '96, and that was Tiger's first year out, right? That might have been. I'm not sure. Yeah. What did you win at the Hartford Open that year? And I wonder, compared to what well, the purse is for the well, winner. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to guess 270, maybe. I don't. I don't, I don't even remember. My my first win at Quad City was 36,000. That was my first win. But I think Hartford might have been in that ballpark. All right, and last one. Did you ever think when you got out on tour that there would be another DA on the PGA Tour? <laughs> That's another story, too, because his mother is from Quincy, Illinois, where I grew up. No way. Yeah. And every year there was there was a tournament called, the, and it's still, still going on, called Little Peoples, a junior event where kids from three or four years old up to 18 would come back to Quincy, Illinois. And play this event. Well, when when he was growing up, I started to have my fundraiser. I did a fundraiser in my hometown for 25 years as well. We would match it up so the kids coming in town could play in their little event and then come over and see the pros in the exhibition we had. And so I would go over there and do a clinic for them. Well, every year he came and he wanted me to sign his, you know, DA sign his cap. And they certainly... Uh, indicated that he was kind of named after me a little bit. I mean, I'm the, I'm the an only child, Donald Albert. Uh, I'm a junior to my dad. And so I did that. Well, as, as he went along, his grandfather, a year after my dad passed away in 84, sent flowers to my mother to court my mom. And they became real good friends for a long time. Wow. And and so and then as he was growing up, he asked me, "Is there a good teacher that that we could send DA to?" And I gave him a good teacher's name in Bloomington, Illinois. He worked for, for a long. Then he went to Illinois. And as time went on, that connection of the two DAs kind of changed. Oh no, but, but but yeah. So you know, when I hear DA, there's not too many of those around. There's another one here in this town, Daryl Armstrong, who works for the Mavericks. Yeah. And I've done the, the Mavericks uh, Masters golf tournament for 30-plus years. And it's funny that, that Rick Carlisle at the end of the night say, D.A., get up here. And both Daryl and I stand <laughs> up. <and laughs> oh, that so. is awesome. All right, so, Michael, bringing it back to Winstar, 
you have had, like we've talked about, a lot of entertainers here. I'm sure you've seen some bad golf swings from gamblers. Are there any bad entertainer Excellent swings question. that you can share or that mm. uh, you're not breaking confidence? That Well, you know, we do get a lot of the entertainment talent out here that loves to play golf. I haven't seen a lot of bad swings. Uh, the guys from Rascal Flats, Joe Don, uh, one of their singers, amazing player. He plays in the Pebble Beach Pro-Am okay. every year. Uh, we had Colt Ford here for the World Long Drive on yeah. Tuesday night. I believe he won the Pebble Beach Pro-Am this year. He's a good player. Yeah. Uh, you know, we don't – Alice Cooper, hell of a golfer. Loves golf. Addicted uh, to golf. Really big in Arizona, the Scottsdale area for junior golf. So, haven't seen a lot of bad swings from the entertainers. Uh, I can't say the same to your point for the VIPs. <laughs> <laughs> but that, that's why we've created the, the Golf Academy. And John and Bill are such a wonderful asset to us. We're, we're creating golfers one gamer at a time here at Winstar. <laughs> so. Just tune them up a little bit. That's right. Yeah. Well, Let's see, what else, uh, schedule-wise, what are some names or entertainment coming up coming here? Pitbull coming up, right? Is he gonna yeah, Pitbull's going to be here on January 18th. We've Does got, he already uh, have his tea time? He's, <laughs> he can have whatever tea time he wants. He <laughs> tends to bring in quite a bit of revenue for the casino. Does he play in a tux? Uh, he <laughs> performs, I believe, in a tux. I don't know that he would play golf. We're pretty laid back here at the facility. Uh, we've got Little Wayne coming We've obviously got Willie Nelson coming back here in the fall. And as I said, we had last year, I believe, right around 44 Grammy Award winners that performed here at Windstar World Casino and Resort. That is awesome. Well, thank you so much for having us out here. The hospitality has been great. Well, they are, are backing, yeah, <laughs> backing what you're preaching. And uh, DA, hey, we really appreciate you taking the time to not only talk about your career, but talk about design and Thanks to you and Steve for having us out here. And Thank you, also, guys. Michael, again, Michael Ferguson here at the Windstar Golf Club. Highly recommend it. Daring, anything else? I'm good. Thank you all so much. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, you, guys. Thanks for listening to the Golf Bros. Subscribe in iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and find us socially on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Email feedback to Drew or David at thegolfbros.com. The Golf Bros is a DH1 podcast production. For other great shows like this, check us out at dh1podcasts.com. Music courtesy of The Golf Boys. Check out their fine work in iTunes. See you next time on The Golf Bros, your source for every course. Ooh, la, 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 la.